Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. Two truths and a lie. It's a game you've probably played. A game when you're trying to get to know someone just a little bit better in some sort of a group setting, uh, maybe a workplace or a small group. Maybe you went to a hub and they, they played a game like this, like, let's get to know each other. So why don't we share a couple things that are true and one that's a lie, and we'll see if we can spot the lie. That's a fun game to play. It's, uh, it, it's kind of a great mixer, but it's also a game that we're playing all the time in life, constantly. Information is coming at us. Some of it's true. Some of it's a lie. Now, if that's news to you, I'm very sorry to, to burst that bubble, okay, that some of the things you hear in life simply aren't true. And, and the, the best that we can aspire to is to be the type of people who are able to understand which is which. And, and, and I don't want to be the type of person who is closed-minded to new ideas because I, I don't have a paradigm to weigh them against. And I don't want to be the type of a person who has no paradigm to weigh them against. And so every new idea, I'm just, I'm gullible to everything. The Bible gives a formula for this. It's, it's talked about in the book of Acts chapter 17, a group of people from Berea. It says they were eager to hear new information that Paul was sharing. And then they went and examined it according to the word of God daily. In other words, they had a soft heart and a sharp mind. I want us as people of God to develop softer hearts and sharper minds. We don't don't want to be so close to dialogue because we're we're nervous that a thought we've never thought of before would would already, uh, would be presented, therefore precluding us from having anything meaningful to say. We got to be better listeners. We got to be better at, at actually examining, weighing out what is true and leaving the rest. Would you agree with that? Okay, about half of us are together, and uh, the rest of us are on a long weekend, and that's all right, okay? You found yourself in church on a long weekend. Why not engage in it? Here we go. So we looked at, at the two truths and a lie about truth, just the very nature of truth. Some would agree that or would believe that truth is actually a matter of personal experience, and that personal experience is the lens through which we should weigh all truth. What a trap that is, what a lie it is, because it limits your ability to grow to an incredibly low ceiling. You can only understand things based on what you've already experienced. That's not the way we live our lives according to just simply lived experience because we can be tricked in our own lived experience. We looked at two truths and a lie about the struggle, the things that we go through because it's crazy the lies people tell us with great intention when we're going through trouble. Like this one, the age-old classic, it could be worse. Like, thanks for that, friend. Awesome. I don't know if that was meaningful, purposeful, or what it was, but I'm glad you felt like that was a really important thing to share. But there is truth to be found in the struggle. There is truth to be found as we walk through hard things and trials and temptations and learn to count them as joy. Last week, we looked at two truths and a lie about justice and how just because the word justice is involved in something doesn't necessarily make it just according to scripture. And so it's maybe a a half truth. We've got to be a little more careful the way we weigh out something that's as important to God as justice, that we have to make sure that we are seeing people the way God sees them and judging accordingly. This week, we're going to get into another topic, a topic that's talked about a lot, and I'm excited to share with you two truths and a lie about sex. Two truths and a lie about sex. Nobody said amen. Okay. It's one of those times it's like, man, I want church to be loud and engaged, but I get it. You don't want to be too loud and too engaged. Like, amen. We're going there. Why would we talk about sex in church? Why would we, would we address something like this in church? Well, I, I think that for far too long we have avoided meaningful conversations about a topic like sex because we, we succumb to awkwardness. I see this happen in life. This morning I was on my way to church. I was riding on my moped, and I came up to a stoplight, came up to a red light, and I noticed that right beside me was a police officer. Now, I was doing nothing wrong. I am allowed to stop at a red light. That's what you're supposed to do. And then with your indicator on, you're fully allowed to turn right, provided that it's safe to do so. 
But I made this micro decision in the moment. I thought, you know what? I'm just going to be extra careful. I'm just going to wait till it turns green today. I just don't want to cause any trouble. It's crazy. There was no trouble to be caused. There was nothing wrong being done. But because there was an authority figure present, I, made, I typically don't make that decision. But as I caught myself making it, I'm like, that applies to a reason why some people just avoid topics of awkwardness. They're like, if the Bible has an authority on it and I get it wrong, I'm just going to be super careful by never talking about it and pretending it doesn't exist. I've also seen this thing take place. Have you ever been in a room of people who are all passionate like about one specific sports team or one specific perspective and they're passionate and they're fired up? It's not your favorite, but you have to make the decision, how passionate am I? Like really, how passionate am I? Do I, do I rock the boat? Do I make waves or do I just, that's all good. It's okay. Everyone's like, oh, it was the greatest movie I've ever seen. Inside you're like, I thought the movie was lame. It had no storyline. It had no. It was. They had no character arcs. I think they missed. There was holes in it. But if everyone else is good with it, you're like I'll just let it go. I'm not that passionate about it. We don't need to have a fight about it. And for for a lot of us, we're not passionate enough about a topic like sex. We're like, oh, I have some different perspectives that I've derived from the Word of God. It doesn't seem to be the popular majority, and so I think I'll just be quiet about it. Don't need to to make a fuss unless I'm really passionate. I remember once being in a soccer game in Guatemala, just outside of Guatemala City, and, and I, I showed up with a friend, and, and I said to him, like, hey, so who are we cheering for? He's like, well, I will be cheering for yellow, but the crowd will be cheering for red. I'm like, awesome, man. We're going to be those guys. We're going to be those guys. And we got in, and there's you know, a sea of red, you know, kind of some scattering of yellow around the room. And, and the guy beside me, I'm like, if you call that cheering, I don't know where you come from, bro, because he's like, go yellow. <laughs> you know, very, very held back. He's like, I don't want to cause any trouble. And so I was like, well, if you're not that passionate about yellow, I'm cheering for red. And I'm up on my feet. I'm like, rojo. I'm making friends. We're like, oh, this is a great moment. Because I'm like, I want to be a part of this. And a lot of us, even though we might have some convictions that are derived from the word of God, we're like, if they're not a popular opinion, do I really care enough? Am I that passionate that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make waves? Or I'll, I'll just be okay. I think it's time that we engage more meaningfully and purposefully in conversations about issues that matter. I talked to someone after the first service today. He said, I'm in my 30s. That's the first time in my life that an older man, and it's like, which older man are you talking about? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, me. <laughs> yeah. He's like, it's the first time in my life that an older man has just had an open dialogue about sex in my life. Man, we got to do better. We've got to be more intentional about things that matter to the Lord. If you've been in church for a while, you, you, you're probably making some assumptions, okay? I'm going to try my best to maybe, uh, you know, cut you off before you go there. You're assuming, oh, great, here's the message where the pastor goes on for five minutes, making sure we all know how good his sex life is. Have you ever been in church services like that? You're like, thanks for really making it awkward for your wife, for your own benefit. I'm not going to do that, okay? It's all good. It's all good. I could, but I'm not going to. 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 It also could be one of those, those settings or environments where, where the person with the microphone is like, I'm going to drop some bombs today. I'm going to use incredibly clinical terms or incredibly crass terms. I'm just going to cross the line just a bit and, and make sure everyone knows I'm not awkward this, with this at all. I'm not going to do that, okay? won't do that. It also could be, but won't be, one of those times where, where I, I talk around with innuendo and euphemism and like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and, and say nothing by talking for a long time. I'm not going to do that. Like, like talking about the birds and the bees is a pretty inadequate way to discuss sex. We should have at least picked a monogamous mammal if we're trying to explain something to children, right? It's like birds and bees. It's nothing like birds or bees, okay? It's not like that. So I'm not, I'm not going to do those things. Instead, I want to just have like a meaningful, purposeful dialogue. For a long time, the church has sort of said, you know what? I, like there goes, there goes that topic. The world took it. The world shifted it. Not ours anymore. I'm not willing to, to give up on, on a topic like sex. I, like if I was going to be really cheesy, I'd just quote song lyrics the whole time. It's like, we're bringing sexy back, okay? But, but truthfully... We, we should not give ground 
just because something has been perverted. And, and, and the, the, the society we live in has been doing this for all things, all beautiful things. Like, like sex is one of those things. Oh man, now it's been perverted. I guess we just can't, can't talk about that anymore. Authority. Authority is not a bad thing. But man, it's been perverted. Some people have misused it. They've mishandled and they've hurt people in the process. I guess we've lost authority. Leadership is gone. Money. How about finance? Oh man, the money, which is not a bad thing and is actually powerful, but has been used to manipulate and abuse and the love of money is the root of evil. I guess money's gone. How about, how about art? Well, art's gone. Man, some of, some of the descriptions of art are just way over the line, so we've got to pull back from art. What, like, on and on and on. Dancing can't go there. We lost dancing. I, I grew up in a church where it was kind of like, hey, we're okay with drums, but do they have to be included on a Sunday morning? We're just saying. And then it was like, okay, we'll be fine with drums, but no hats, okay? No hats while you're, you're playing those drums. You can't wear a hat and play drums at the same time. You've just gone too far. Man, we got to talk about this stuff because the world is talking about sex constantly constantly. We live in a sex-obsessed culture. Let me give you just one picture of that, just one, one avenue where this is true. Do you know every second, 28,258 people log online to watch pornographic material? 30,000 people a second, every single second. That's kind of a lot, I think. So much so that they say 20% of all internet searches are pornographic in nature. One out of every five times somebody is searching something online, they're doing so to engage in, in something that's pornographic. And, and meanwhile, a recent study showed that for uh, teenage students, 90% would say this, that any conversation about pornography in their, in their sphere of influence, in their peer group, is either positive or just neutral. It's, it's good, positive conversation, or it's like, ah, whatever. And, and only 10% would say, no, it's, it's something, you know, that we, we kind of think we shouldn't be engaged in. 88% of kids before grade 8 have looked at pornography. And, and all studies would show that it has no demographic, none, whatsoever. Any person, any age, any gender, any socioeconomic position. It's like this huge prevalent thing, but it's the elephant in the room that no one wants to say anything about. You're like, are you reducing sex just to pornography? No, not at all. I'm just saying that's one way in which it is expressed in our society that we're sex obsessed. And you might be sitting here, you're like, okay, pastor, just keep it age appropriate, okay? Like, I've got one of my kids with me. I look around, I don't see too many. Okay. But I'm actually not going to keep it age appropriate because the, the appropriate age uh, in which people sexualize is way too young, okay? I, I don't think that we should lower our standard to the, the acceptable age and method in which sex is communicated about just because the world does. We've got to do better than that. So I want to share with you two truths and a lie about sex. As I do, let me acknowledge this, that there would be some in the room who this is an area of great confusion for you and others where you've got great clarity, there would be some in the room where this is an area that is traumatic in nature, disappointing, or it's been a, a discouraging, defeating part of your life, and others where right now or you know, consistently it's been an area of great victory. There would be some in the room who, who have uh, maybe like my friend in this earlier service today been like, I just have never really talked about this, and others who feel like, man, I've had in, in, like thorough dialogue about this matter. And let's just acknowledge that instead of trying to find the, 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 the commonality amongst all of us and lowering ourselves to the lowest common denominator, we're going to look to the, the, the Bible and see what it has to say. Is that cool with everyone? Truth number one, sex is created by God. Sex is created by God. It's God's idea. It's God's initiative. It's God's plan. It's one of the reasons why I will not back down and say sex is an issue of the world. It's created by God. God is good, and every good and perfect gift comes from him. So we can't let up on something that matters to God. You know, even in the, in the narrative of creation, in the book of Genesis, God, by the, the, the speaking of his word, created light in the Grand Canyon and, and mosquitoes and mollusks and mushrooms and, and, and uh, you know, pomegranates and hippopotamuses and butterflies and moths. And, and, and he said, man, that's good, and that's good, and that's good, and that's good. The Bible says this, that, that God knows each of the stars by name. And he's like, that's good, 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 into infinity. And then when he created man, 
mankind, humanity made in his image. He goes, that's very good. That's what, that's what it's all about. The pinnacle of my creative process, the center of my work of art that is creation is humanity, made in my image and made in my likeness. And the first thing to which God said, that's not good, was seeing the loneliness that Adam experienced. Adam living in a beautiful, perfect garden, a sinless creation with food and with purpose and with destiny and and with with, with the presence of God in his life, but no helpmate, no match. God said, oh, that's not good. And so he created from Adam, Eve, and pulled out one of Adam's ribs while Adam slept. There's a whole other message there, the thought like, hey, if you're looking for, for someone, just rest, rest in God, you know, all those things. Okay, different message. And Adam awoke from his sleep, and then this is the really corny one. He saw her, and he said, whoa, man. He called her woman. Terrible joke. Why am I doing this? Like old, ugh. But then, then God says, Let's look at what it says in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, and you'll see it up on the screen as well. Let me read it to you. Genesis 1 and, uh, and 27. It says this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves along the ground. God saw that it was not good to be alone, that it was very good to be together. And he said, now I'm blessing this thing. Isn't it amazing how, how, how sex, it's like the one thing in life that goes from being sinful in, in, in the wrong context to being blessed in the right context. I remember on, on our honeymoon, you know, thinking, hey, hold up, hold up a sec. If this was three days ago, and this is what we were doing, and someone walked in, shame on us. But, but times have changed, and if someone were to walk in right now, shame on them. Like, this, this is not a, a, a issue of secret. It's not an issue of compromise. It's not, it's not an area of shame. It's actually an area blessed by God. Sex is created by God and it's blessed by God. And, and, and you look through scripture and you see not only is it uh, created by God as a, you know, a, a means of procreation, but it's also created for pleasure. You read the, the Song of Solomon. It's like this erotic poem and you're reading, you're like, I don't think my parents know this was in here, or they would not let me read the Bible. And then you realize, oh, I'm here, so I guess they knew this was in here because it's in their Bible too. Oh, man. Like, God created this thing with purpose and with beauty. Truth number true, sex is powerful. Sex is powerful. It's potent. And I think one of the biggest deceptive messages that, that the young people in our society are being fed even as we as adults feed on the same lie, is that, ah, it's just sex. You've heard it in person, or you've heard it on a movie at the very least. Oh, no, it's nothing serious. It's just sex. It's just physical transaction. It's just meeting of an of a urge or desire. It's not that serious. It's only, it's only sex. No, sex is powerful. It's powerful. Look at some of the language that the, the Bible uses to describe sex. If you could, turn with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5, uh, starting at verse uh, 18, it says this. May your fountains be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deal. May her breasts, hello, satisfy you always, and may you ever be intoxicated with her love intoxicated? That's a powerful language. This word intoxicated means to stagger and reel. The Bible here is saying that in the context which God designed and created, sex has the power to intoxicate you. That, that it's powerful enough to overtake the senses. That if you're a whole man, you get, I'm drunk on this. That's powerful language. It's like this burning intensity to it. And it uses similar language in the New Testament. Look what it says when Paul is speaking to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and uh, in verse uh, 8 and 9 it says this, now to the unmarried and to the widow I say, hey, it's good to stay unmarried just as I am. But if you can't control yourself, 
you should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Look at that language, burn with passion, like this unquenchable, devastating fire. So much so that the Bible says, don't wake up passion before it so desires. Because, because a thing that could bring health can bring destruction in the wrong context. It's powerful. Sex is intoxicating, and it, it, it's like a consuming fire. This is the language the Bible uses. But ah, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. Do you know, among recently uh, polled students in high school, the majority said that not littering is more morally, rep- morally reprehensible than watching pornography. That to not litter is a bigger responsibility that they have for themselves and their future than to, to stay sexually pure in this area. Meanwhile, all studies would show that pornography is destructive to our mental processes, carrying with it some of the same type of neuro, uh, neurological responses as narcotic drugs, that it, it lowers the expectation uh, of, of a healthy uh, committed monogamy, and it normalizes the thought of promiscuity, self-centeredness, and aggression, that it raises an unreal expect- expectation while diminishing our ability to ever engage in any sort of healthy sexual relationship. But it's not as bad as, as uh, not recycling. That's the battle that we face. And meanwhile, we're like, uh, you know, I don't want to say the wrong thing to the crowd. I'll just stay quiet. I know in my heart what I think is true. We, we got to do better than that. We've got to engage more meaningfully and purposefully because sex is not only this powerful bond that takes place in marriage. It's not only an intoxication or a fire that can, again, bring, bring life or bring destruction. It also is probably the, the most uh, vivid, vibrant picture that we are given for what uh, emotional intimacy and vulnerability looks like. You know, in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 31 and 34, uh, speaking of the future, God says this, no longer will people boast that they know me because everyone will know me. He, he says this, like his desire is that everyone should have close, intimate, purposeful relationship with him. And the word choice in the Hebrew language is yada, which means to experience with all your senses. God is saying this, I want you in a place of intimate vulnerability to completely experience my goodness and my love in all your senses. Now, is is God being sexual? No, but it is somewhat sensual. It's all your senses. He is saying, I want you to really, truly know me. You know, in in the garden, Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. It is sort of the way God wants to live us to live before him. That doesn't mean you need to take your clothes off when you do your devotions, okay? You know, I get up in the morning, I make myself a cup of coffee, I get naked, I read the Bible, I'm naked and unashamed. But it does mean that that is the type of confidence that you have in knowing and being known by God. So much so that that same word yada is the word used when Adam and Eve knew one another. Now, more modern translations use the term they were united or they made love. That's not awkward, okay? Just to throw that in the Bible. But, but the, the, the original Hebrew says this, and then Adam knew Eve and they had a son. That, that, it's that same type of intimacy. So when we reduce sex and we, we try to eliminate intimacy, we're also closing ourselves up for any sort of real intimate vulnerability in our spiritual life as well. The same type of language is used in the New Testament, okay? In the New Testament, in in John 10, uh, Jesus says this, my sheep will know my voice. And the word know is the Greek word gnosko, which is the same word used for uh, Joseph and Mary. It says Mary was pregnant, and Joseph didn't know her until after she had the baby because she was the virgin Mary. She gave birth a virgin. And then after then, they, they knew one another. Again, you see this intimate language used that God says, you will know a love, in Ephesians, that surpasses knowledge. You can experience intimacy, even though it doesn't make sense that you should feel confident in your brokenness and in your, your, your hardship. This is the language that God decides to use. So God created sex, and sex is powerful. Would we agree on those things? Sex is created by God. 
Sex is powerful. Now let me tell you a lie, okay? I had a hard time trying to, to figure out how to articulate this lie because it takes many forms and it, it has kind of different nuance to it. But, uh, but here's what I landed on. A lie. Sex is a free-for-all. Sex is a free, you just do you. You just do your thing as long as you're happy. Sex is, is neither free or for all, by the way. Uh, it's, it's, but, but this is the prevailing thought. And if you don't believe sex is created by God, or you don't believe it's powerful, I can see how you'd fall into this myth, that it's just a free-for-all. It's your idea, it's your initiative, it is your right. You know, you know, being gratified is actually not your right, it's a reward and a responsibility for following the purposes of God, because he created it, and he created it powerfully. Isn't it true that, that the more potent something is, the more you have to treat it with care? Right? There are, there are no warning labels for a bottle of water. You don't look at the bottle of water, it's like, you know, take, take sparingly half a bottle a day. Be careful. If you get it in your eyes, go to the emergency right away. They don't say that. And, and, and like, if, if you get a little more potent, a little more intense, maybe some like dish soap, it's like, you shouldn't eat this. If it gets in your eyes, wash it with water. And then you get to a little, something a little more potent like bleach, it's like, beware. Do not eat this, you could die. If you get it in your eyes, immediately go and get medical attention. And if you get to something more potent like nitroglycerin, but it just looks like water, handle with care or you're done, right? Why should we handle sex with care? Because it's created by God and it has power. And because it is thus, God creates guides and guards that he puts in place. He goes, this is what it looks like. So I want to share some of what the Bible would teach about the guides and the guards. Now, now if, if you know the Bible a little bit, you're like, are we going to go to Leviticus? We're going back. And, and, and we could, but I'm not going to, okay? We could go back to Leviticus and look at like there's a whole chapter of rules. This is all the things you shouldn't do with sex, okay? Now, now some even though I believe it's authoritative, would be like, that's Old Testament. It's hard to know. There's some, you know, maybe that doesn't make it through the cross. Well, the Bible says this, that Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill it. And so the ethic that God teaches, the morals he teaches, make it through the cross into grace. But I don't need to use the Old Testament to prove it to you. And, and, and nor do I need to look at Paul, although I love Paul. Paul's awesome. Paul speaks specifically about uh, sexual relationships and how to handle it well. But there are some who would say, oh, but he's speaking to a really specific situation. My situation is just one degree off. It's a little bit different. It's a different time, a different culture. And so it's hard to really know. I actually don't think it's hard to know because the authority that Scripture carries is that you, you start with what it meant then and then you apply it to how, what it means now. So I don't think it's that hard to do that type of, of critical thinking work. But instead, I just want to look at what Jesus says, because Jesus speaks about sex as well, okay? So let's look at some of the words of Jesus, how he speaks to it. And we will notice that, first of all, Jesus speaks prescriptively. He goes, this is what sex is intended for. Can you turn there with me to the book of Matthew? Matthew, uh, uh, I think we'll go to chapter 19. Matthew 19, you'll see it up on the screen as well. Matthew 19. I hope I'm not overwhelming anyone today, but I also hope that I'm at least whelming you. Like at least enough, because it is pretty powerful. Is it hot in here, by the way, or are we just talking about sex? It is hot in here. Okay, we'll get the air conditioning worked out. I'm like, it's one of the two. Either we're talking about sex or it's hot in here, but I think it's kind of both. Okay, Matthew chapter 7, or 19, I should say, and uh, going down to verse 4. It says this, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made the male and female, and he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one in flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. In, in this little statement, Jesus lays out the prescriptive ethic for, for sex. He's speaking of marriage, and you're like, hold up, are you talking about sex or marriage? Yes. That is the thing I'm talking about because Jesus says right here, marriage is the environment where sex is blessed, that it, that it has purpose for, where it acts as, as the, the type of emotional glue that holds you together. So he lays out his prescription. He goes, here's what, what, what sex is for. One man, one woman committed in a marriage relationship for life. And outside of those guidelines, 
it, however much you want to paint out of those lines, we're now living outside of God's purpose for this powerful thing that he created. Now, now for some, again, if we go, well, sex, what does God have to say about it? Well, he created it. Well, I want this, though. You can, you can actually, if you want, have it. You just miss out on the power that comes with it. You miss out on the, the blessing and the purpose. And this doesn't just happen in sex, by the way. Like, like Satan wanted honor but wasn't willing to go through the pain of, of humility. And Adam and Eve wanted knowledge, the privilege of knowledge, without the process of being taught. And Abraham wanted to cash in on the privilege of his promise without the pain of the patience that would be required. And Achan wanted blessing, but without obedience. And King Saul wanted victory without righteous sacrifice. And in the New Testament, there's this guy named Simon the sorcerer. He wants power, but not the Holy Spirit. Like like we do this in all areas. We want the privilege that comes with something without the process that it requires. And if we're not careful, we go, well, sex is my right. Everyone has a right to express and experience what they want, when they want, and how they want it. But sex is actually a reward and a responsibility that comes within this context. One man, one woman in marriage for life. And everything outside of those lines is is missing the mark that God intended. What does God do when we miss the mark? Well, he doesn't cast lightning from heaven and destroy us. But in kindness, he does convict us. He does actually convict us and call us into holiness. Here's what God doesn't do. He doesn't require of us something that, it, that is impossible for us to understand, but he does expect for us to live in the revelation that we've already received. And so Jesus goes, here's my prescription. Here's how I want this thing to play out. You leave your father and mother and you, the old, old language said this, you cleave to your wife. This translation says you are united. The Greek language says you are baked together. You can't go and, and, and disconnect the ingredients that have been baked together. This is not talking about holding hands. This is not talking about cohabitating. This is talking about sexual intercourse. The two have become one in flesh. And then what God has joined together, let nothing come between. Not, not another person, not time, not, not, not oh, our feelings have changed, nothing. You work at it. People go this, you know what? The goal is you gotta stay pure till you're married. No, you have to stay pure after you're married too. That, it, keeps, it keeps mattering, okay? The battle might look different, but you have to continue to walk in purity. It's this progressive walk with the Lord that he's walking us into his purpose through his plan. Now, now for some, you're like, oh, I blew it already. One man and one woman, ah, I'm out. You know? Oh, in a marriage relationship, but we love each other. Does that count? We got to try out the chemistry before we go that far. Does that count? No? Oh, okay, well, I'm out. That, that's actually not the message that God shares. What I, what I learned from this is, is as a parent, it is my job that by the time my kids leave, I have taught them how to cleave. That by the time they leave my care, they know how to be united, and yet a majority of students say that the internet is a more reliable source for learning about sex than their own family construct. My friends, this should not be our reality. We, gotta, we have to be more intentional about this. So Jesus speaks prescriptively, which immediately can draw lines where some say, whoa, I made it. I made it. I meet the definition. Haven't done that. Maybe just because you've had no opportunity. Haven't done that. I'm good. I'm just being honest. It's just real. Some would, would consider that the level of righteousness. Like I did it. And then this line is drawn, you're like, ah, oh, I'm, not, I'm not within that gang. It's just not how Jesus talks. In fact, he turns the heat up a little bit. Not only does he speak prescriptively, he also speaks correctively about sex. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 5, if you could turn there. Jesus has been talking, and in the process of it, he says to everyone, he goes, hey guys, just so you know, if you want to meet my standard, your righteousness needs to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are going, hold up. We have lived in this rule. One man, one woman, married for life. We're doing good. And Jesus says, you've heard it said, 
that you should not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you could turn there with me in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5. Everyone still with me? You good? He says this, verse 27. You've heard it said, you should not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. It's better for you to enter into heaven without one part of your body than to have your whole body thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, just cut it off. It's better for you to enter uh, or to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. That is a hard lesson to teach. Jesus gets real, real on this stuff. What's he saying? Well, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying get a spoon and pop the eyeball out. He's not saying this is what I demand. Here's what he is. It's almost like Jesus in this moment, while he's talking, he gets out the microphone stand and he goes into a little bit of stand-up. He's like, so... You thought it was good enough that you just aren't in adultery, eh? <laughs> nope. And then he goes, in fact, why not just cut your eye out? Come on, take this stuff seriously. He's speaking in hyperbole, but he's exposing how serious holiness is to him. In this, he's saying sex is not just a physical transaction. It's emotional and it's spiritual. And purity is not just going like, well, I didn't break any of the rules. Purity is actually walking before God in integrity and cleanness, and repentance. And he goes like, take it seriously. And so for some of us, we've drawn lines. We've said, these are some of the ways that would be very serious to to go against God's purposes. But I don't do those things. I stop short of them. And Jesus is going, oh, no, 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 no. Address the issues of your heart. If you're sinning in your heart, the difference between fantasy and reality is just opportunity. It's just opportunity. Put yourself in the right place in the wrong headspace and the things you fantasize about will be the things you you live out. You need to address the issues of your heart and do so seriously. Do so like like, like with with intensity. And so if if an issue is, is you're like, I'm not committing adultery. I'm not engaging in, in fornication. I'm not having an extramarital affair. I think I'm doing pretty good. You need to continue to address Are you engaged in in fantasy or pornography? Do you have an obsession with how sexually desirable you are? Do 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 you flirt inappropriately? These would be issues that the Bible says take seriously. Your heart's in this thing. And how do we take it seriously? Just dismembering ourselves? No. How crazy would it be like, hey, welcome to church today, and we all have no eyes and no hands, and then we can look around and judge and be like, I know what you thought about, guy with no eyes. It's not it's not for that. It's actually exposing that we have a perfection problem. There's a standard I can't live up to apart from the righteousness of God. It's impossible to have a righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees except for the righteousness that comes in repentance. So we address our issues. We look in our heart. We see where it's out of line. And we repent. And we begin to take steps in keeping with repentance and bear fruit that looks like repentance, and we continue to walk forward in the grace that God has applied to our lives. That's taking it seriously. So Jesus speaks prescriptively, he speaks correctively, and he also speaks redemptively. This is great news, okay? Joel, I'm going to ask you to come back to the keyboard. He speaks redemptively. Look at what it says in the book of John chapter 8. John chapter 8, this incredible story where Jesus has an opportunity to meet someone in their brokenness. I love this. It says, at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. He sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who was caught in adultery. They made her stand up in the group and they said, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, it's commanded that such a woman should be stoned. Now, what do you say? They were using this question to trap him in order to have a basis for accusation. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw their stone. And again, he stooped down and he wrote in the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up again and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. This story brings up a lot of questions for me. First question, how do you catch just one person in the act of adultery? 
Was the guy just faster? Seems pretty unjust, pretty unfair, pretty morally despicable to pick and choose who's the greater sinner in some situation, but they seem to have done that. Second thing that that is really highlighted for me is just how deplorable it is that they're using a woman's situation to try to trap Jesus. They don't care that she sinned. They don't care that she gets forgiven. Their main focus is to, to trap Jesus. And in our world, I feel like people have constantly been put in this situation where their nuanced story is brought up in front of everyone. You're like, well, what about this story then? I think it's wrong. I don't think it's the way we ought to handle things. I remember years ago, man, almost 20 years ago now, I was in a a public high school teaching a a lesson. I was asked to come in, teach a lesson about the historicity of Jesus and his significance on Western culture. And so I had a great lesson planned. The Gutenberg Press was front and center. (laughs) Talking about the the influence of of Christian thought and the Judeo-Christian worldview and then it came a time for questions. The, the book, The Da Vinci Code, had just come out. So everyone's questions were a little Da Vinci Code-ish. First question, someone raised their hand. Hey, just a quick question. Why do you hate gay people? I'm like, oh, so the Gutenberg Press was really important for publications. I thought, man, what, what has their story been that, that for some reason the thought that the Bible has a standard means that they're hated or means that somehow they're separated or somehow they've been made to be the, the example to try to trip someone up in their thinking. I'm grateful that they asked the question because I was able to apply a bunch of grace and say, actually, I, I don't, and Jesus didn't, and those who live according to the word shouldn't. That's actually not, not the case at all. Jesus actually came for all of us in our struggle, for all of us in our brokenness. Next person, hey, my aunt and uncle got divorced, and the church was so mean to them. Why? I'm like, wait, nobody cared about the historicity of Jesus. What they care about is how is it being applied. It reminds me how important the role we play is as a representation of the nature of Jesus. So what was Jesus like in this situation? What was Jesus like when when put in a situation where someone was being shamed for how they had lived outside of his prescription or outside of this corrective process. What was Jesus like? Well, third question that comes to mind is, what did he write in the ground? Oh, I want to know. Some people have just guessed. They have no scholarly proof. They're like, maybe Jesus was writing out the sins of the people who came in. I hope so. That'd be awesome. If he was like naming names and then some guy's sitting there with his rock, he's like, I'm about to stone this girl. And then he's like, Holga. He's like, ooh, Holga. <laughs> I'm out. I, I hope that's what it was. Maybe Jesus was, was, I don't know, like maybe he was just playing tic-tac-toe. Bible doesn't say. Maybe he was just waiting them out so they could search their heart. I don't know. But here in this perfection problem, this is what they were trying to do and what the world is asking us to do constantly. Either indict or endorse Two choices. Is she wrong or is she right? And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm not going to play that game with you. I'm not going to play that game with you. If you think you're in a, a situation to judge, go ahead and judge. And you will have to live with the judgment that you cast. I'm not going to be forced in the corner to indict or endorse. Because in the middle of this is this, this uh, truth where Jesus is redemptive. One by one, they dropped their rocks until it's only him. Jesus is the only one in the room, by the way, who could have judged her. Jesus would have been within his right to say, well, I'm perfect, and so I will carry out the judgment and justice that God demands of those who break his law. But Jesus, he doesn't wink at her sin. He goes, no one else is here. It's all good. It's okay. Sorry about that. That should never have happened. He's not light on sin. He's just... Like really, really, really heavy on grace. So he looks her in the eye. I imagine the shame she was feeling. She was caught in the act. It's been a really bad day. For a lot of us, we think being caught is the worst thing that could happen to us. Not for her. It was the best thing that ever happened. Because she was caught in her sin, but in this moment was caught in grace. As Jesus says, I don't condemn you, but you need to go and leave your life of sin. 
He, he doesn't endorse her. He goes, hey, you know what? I'm good with adultery. These guys, what do they know? He goes, I'm not going to condemn you, but I do want to challenge you and call you to righteousness. Go and leave that life. You need to make steps and, and, and make a change. It's not the, the job of the church to indict or endorse. It's the job of the church to be like Jesus. It's the job of the church to apply and extend grace, but to also understand that in the book of Titus, it says it's God's grace that teaches us to say no to unrighteousness and to ungodliness in a crooked and depraved time. We got we to gotta do better than, than simply skirting around issues, thinking that we're being kind by saying nothing. Clarity is kindness. This is what the Bible says sex is for. And it's so serious that it even affects our thought life and our hearts. But Jesus says this, I'm not condemning you. I'm pointing this out so I can lead you into a life of holiness. I can lead you into a life of freedom. How do you end a message about sex? Been thinking about that this week. How do you best end it? Like, you know, and in conclusion, be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, in the, in the book of Romans chapter 12, it says when we get a view of God's mercy, our response is to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. That means in all those ways that there is a, a battle, we have the opportunity to worship. So in the area of sexuality, there's this battle. Oh, it wasn't created by God and it's not that powerful. Yes, it was and yes, it is. And so I worship God by, by living within the guides and guards he puts in place. And you actually can worship God by pursuing holiness and purity. For far too long, we've said, hey, here's how you, you, you avoid sin. Just follow these litany of rules. We've actually eliminated the process of the Holy Spirit. Who, the fruit of the Spirit is actually self-control. The purpose of God, when Jesus says to them, oh, you've, you've lusted in your heart, then you're the sinner. It was in a time where the job of women was to, to wear hairnets over their head and like crazy modest clothes to protect other people from lusting after them. And Jesus is like, that's not freedom just because you got put in a fake reality. You're not free. He actually calls us to self-control, a higher standard. And we do this in other areas as well, like authority and, 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 and money and art and all these things. We're like, oh, instead of, you know, maybe at misstepping, we'll just draw our own lines. Like instead of finding joy, just need hype. And we'll just hype you up. Come on, somebody. It's like we need the joy that comes with the Holy Spirit. Instead of gentleness, we'll just be really politically correct. Here's all the do's and all the don'ts. Just never have a conversation and you'll never offend. Instead of learning what it is to be gentle with one another. The Spirit has a better solution. So we offer our whole lives as a sacrifice. And then the Bible says this. God gives us a renewed mind. So maybe here today... And you feel like, man, I'm not within those standards right now. Well, God is saying, I don't condemn you, but come on, let's do this. Let's do this. Maybe you say, well, I'm in those standards, but my mind is all over the place. And, and Jesus is saying, well, let's take it seriously. Let's step up and respond. Let's be people who actually get some authority in this area. I fear that there's some in the room today, you feel like you have no authority in any area because you don't have authority in this area. You feel like I got no ground to stand on and it's because the devil's condemning you. God wouldn't, isn't condemning. He's convicting though. He is speaking that there's a change needed and he's so restorative and redemptive that, that it's not this one strike you're out. It's how will you live from this point forward? How will you pursue purity from this point forward? Can I pray for you? That was a pretty bad job at ending a message about sex, but God can do a better job in the ministry that takes place in your heart right now. Across the room, let me pray. Jesus, in this room, it would be possible to feel uh, isolated or separated, but it's just simply not what you intend. You are, are beckoning our hearts to be brought out of darkness and into light. I pray that in this area, certainly, we would have freedom, but in all the other areas where we've maybe backed away due to awkwardness, we want the authority that comes in knowing we're serving you. So I pray, God, for the people of this house that we would live according to your purpose, knowing that you've created all things for our pleasure and, and with great purpose, that you actually have greatness in store for us. So I pray for those who today are, are being corrected. May we have humble enough hearts to pursue holiness. For those who are, are finding themselves caught, may we be caught up not in our sin but in your grace. 
with the courage to go forward. And I pray, Lord, for those in the room, it might be possible that there are some, like a Pharisee carrying a stone, we live our lives pointing out the faults in others and trying to point out those flaws. Instead of just simply dropping our stones today, may we drop to our knees and receive your forgiveness. May we too be caught up in the grace that you've intended for us, that we could walk in purpose and in holiness. Thank you, Jesus. And with eyes closed and heads bowed, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, know it's a cool miracle is that God could be speaking to you about salvation when the pastor's talking about sex. It's kind of cool. You might just be in the presence of God and feel like he's, he's calling you into a relationship with him. And if that's you, I want to pray a, a prayer. You can, you can agree with me in prayer. And in your faith, responding to God's grace, you're saved. If that's you today with no one looking around, just raise your hand. You say, I need to make my life right with God. That's me. Yeah, I see you. I see you. I see you. Who else? You say, maybe that's me today. Today's my day. It's awesome. I'm so grateful for the Holy Spirit that he's not limited to my topic or my conversation. He's speaking to your heart right now. And if that's you, you can pray this prayer. In fact, why don't we all pray together as a family today? Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Today, I recognize that you're calling me and that I need your grace. I repent of my sin. I receive your forgiveness. Help me to walk in purity in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Can we give God praise today? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig deep for one more lame song reference, okay? Oops, I did it again, okay? I get it. We talk about a topic like this. I said it at the beginning. Maybe you, this, this is like a, a sensitive area, sensitive issue. Perhaps you have been in an unhealthy place or been uh, subject to, to something unright and abusive. Maybe it's just triggering for you in any way. I just want you to know this. You're not intended to walk alone. You're not intended to do this alone. And if you feel isolated right now, that's, that is actually the work of the enemy of your soul who's trying to, to steal and kill and destroy. The purpose of God is that you would have life that is abundant. And if there's any way that I personally can serve you in that or someone on our team can, we would love to, okay? Like, like church is not a Sunday afternoon affair. And then I take on some content, I'm good to go. We want to walk this thing out together. And so if you've got questions or thoughts, maybe this brings up something, you're like, I, I could use someone that I could talk to you about some stuff. You can send us an email to the church at large, info at vivid.church. You can send one to me as well, justin at vivid.church. If I can help you or connect you with someone that could, I would really love to. Because far too long. This is like one of those areas that just sort of lives in the shadows. I don't want, I don't want people saying I'm in my 30s for the first time I'm hearing somebody talk straight about this. I think it's, you know, microphone's great, but a coffee table with a coffee in the middle, even better. We'd love to talk more, okay? We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.